0: This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 312, a conversation with Fabian Issiesa. Welcome to Comic Shenanigans. This is episode 312, and it's our conversation with Fabian Issiesa episode. Uh, this is actually the second time he's been on the show. The first time was on episode 262, so if you haven't heard that before, make sure to uh, look at the, um, the, the archive and download that either at comicshenetigans.podbean.com or you can go on iTunes and look for it there uh, so that you can kind of get caught up before we jump into this new episode. Uh, so this time around, we uh, chatted with Fabian about uh, his upcoming Deadpool Cable book as well as uh, some other upcoming books he has uh, he's coming up or things he's working on. We also talked about his recent work on uh, the Age of Apocalypse miniseries as part of um, uh, the Secret Wars tie-ins. It, also, we talk about his recent work on Convergence, as well as we take a look at some of his things that he's worked on in the past. Uh, I want to thank some people from the Marvel Masterworks board who... Through and ideas for questions, which I believe we more or less covered in some way, but uh, I want to at least give them a shout out, and that's to Avengers fan two, Doctor Doombot, and Optimus eighty one. So thank you for your assistance in uh, coming up with some additional questions for Fabian. And without further ado, let's just jump right on to the episode. Wait, before we do, holy crap, I almost forgot some housekeeping. Uh, If you want to email us, you can do so at comicshenanigans at gmail dot com. Uh, You can like us on Facebook, rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and you can also listen to us on Stitcher. Whew, almost forgot about our our everyday housekeeping. Without further ado, let's jump right into our conversation with Fabian Nicieza. Fabian, welcome back to Comic Shenanigans. Thank you for uh, joining us yet again.
1: Thank you for having me, guys.
0: Uh, so this, uh, this episode we're going to try something a little bit different, uh, since we already did the kind of the career-spanning interview, uh, now we get to focus in on a few specific projects. Okay. But before we get to that, I do want to talk about, uh, now that it is wrapped up, I want to talk about your work on Convergence. Uh, so the last time we talked was right before, I think it was right as, uh, Convergence Superboy was about to launch. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, so how did you find the fan reaction was, first of all, to, uh, Convergence Superboy?
1: Uh, listen, I, I... I the response I got was very positive to all three of my series. The reviews I got were were very positive for all three of my series. I, I know that the reviews for the core series weren't as strong, um, but I have to be honest, I never read the core series. I, I don't even... I, I don't have a clue about it. Um, I, I did my plots for my six issues well in advance of the core series even having been scripted. So I didn't even... Engage with whatever was happening with the other titles at all. I mean, I had to do some rewrites on the second Titans issue because they wanted to have aspects of that flow into the core series. So we did the, we actually did rewrites and redraws because we'd already finished the book uh-huh. uh, a long time earlier. Um, so I was a little divorced on the whole convergence thing because I finished my work before, the, pretty much before the new year was even over on almost all my books. Uh-huh. Um, the, the, the issue twos on, on a couple of them lagged a little Just because of the artist being slow but, but my my part was pretty much done and, and I was very happy with it on my end I loved writing those characters uh, I liked I liked all all three of my titles I, I thought that within the context of A bit of a shoehorn story structure um, it, 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 my, my stories were fun to do and I, and I really was happy with them And I liked working with all three artists Um even though a couple of them took their darn sweet time, uh, I, still, I still really enjoyed their work a lot. Um, so I was very happy with the project. I, I, can't, I can't speak to the readers, the retailers, or people who worked on other titles. Mm.
0: You bring up an interesting point there that you know, it is kind of a shoehorn plot structure. So how did you use that in three different ways to you know, inject energy into you know, the same basic concept at its core, but to go into completely three different directions?
1: I think I think really just take the situations that you have with your characters and and work with it. Uh, I had I had three pretty different stories to tell it, with each of the each of the the groupings. So that means what ultimately what it really means is your cliffhanger is different for each book. And if your cliffhanger is different for each book, then what leads into it and what comes out of it is different for each book. So. You, what that means is no matter what your initial introductory structure is and no matter what your resolution structure has to be, you have the chance to play with your middle, your act two. Mm-hmm. And in this case, that means half of issue one, the, the, the back half of issue one and the front half of issue two gives you room to play a little bit. Um and, and I just, I didn't, because I didn't know what anyone else was doing in any of their other books, and I didn't see anybody else's scripts or plots, I really just focused on, on each of my titles and what each of the characters in, in my individual books needed, and, and, and really that was a focus on, on Roy Harper and on Superboy and on, on the, 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 the losers of the Justice League Detroit <laughs> as opposed to the, the core three. Um, so so that's, that's basically how I, I approached it. It was honestly, it was pretty easy for me. It was a pretty easy story structure. It was a very, they were very easy stories to write because I understand the characters and I and I and I appreciate them and I enjoy them, uh, and I felt that all of them had stories that could be told with them.
0: Did you enjoy the? Th- I mean, it's interesting that you ended up kind of doing three of the kind of four kind of subgroupings you ended up doing three of them as opposed to doing a bunch of titles in the same kind of time frame of the characters do you think that benefited the books feeling very different from each other
1: um, possibly yeah although i'm not 100% sure that the time the time periods had that much to do with it cuz whether it was pre crisis or pre zero hour or pre flashpoint or whatever none of that none of that really mattered as much as the place the individual characters were in from the time period you were drawing them from so i could have done a titans book that was set 20 years earlier you know not continuity wise but but print uh, publication wise and roy harper's story would have been a little bit different because he'd just been coming off his heroin addiction but <laughs> he hadn't lost his arm and lost his daughter and all that stuff so you know, it, it all depends on the time period you were going to be drawn from. The, having it be early Superboy made it real easy to, to play that insecurity card. Same thing with Justice League Detroit. Uh, they were perpetually insecure, so that made it easy to do, too. Um, and, and Roy Harper was easy because they... they, they They did such an effective job of destroying the character in dc comics and admittedly so they even you know they said as much dan said as much as like we totally screwed him up this is a chance just one chance for this one story to kind of redeem him a little bit um and that's that made it very easy for me to do because what i would have preferred to do with the character aligned very nicely with what it was that dc editorial was looking for
0: now i can't remember if we talked about this in the past but uh when you were writing the Superboy series, were you kind of told it's up against the Kingdom Come universe, or were you able to choose the opponent?
1: Um, I think that they gave us a hit list of characters that were available to use, um, and and we picked them. I, I don't. I, I'm pretty sure I picked the Kingdom Come characters because I wanted to have uh, Superman, Kingdom Come Superman, and Superboy. I thought that would be a really good story to tell. Um, uh, I'm pretty sure I was assigned um, who they were going to face, both the Justice League and the um, and, and the Titans books, but not in a negative way. They said like this is how we're trying to parse them all out. And I had other writers might have had some issues. I didn't because I thought that the 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 groupings were very easy to work with the the you know the the, the lunatics in Titans made it very easy to work with uh, you know the, the the extremist characters from the Justice League books and, and having the Justice League characters go up against uh, the the you know the what you would call it um, the tangent universe characters made it very easy to do too
0: well for sure I, I actually I really like the way you played uh, Connell off against you know the Calll from um Oh, now I'm forgetting from Kingdom Come because it just felt like such a natural disparation between the two. Like, yeah,
1: yeah. That, look, at my, at my age, my goal is to is to have the books be as easy to write as possible. <laughs> so, so they made it easy for me, is what it amounts to, and 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 that was a nice welcome change from working with DC. So I was more than happy to do it.
0: Now, coming up, obviously, your, your big new book that's coming out is Deadpool and Cable Second Chanc- second Chances, right?
1: No, it's called Split Second.
0: Oh, my God. So I'm so sorry.
1: But it's a second chance, too. So yes. uh, it works either way.
0: Okay. So this is a digital first coming out, right? Yes, a uh, digital
1: first, six chapters starting in October. I- I'm not honestly sure the frequency that the chapters will publish, but the first one's coming out in October, and the print version will be three uh, oversized print issues I think there'll be like 30 issues each Each of story um, reprinting two chapters each of the digital and that'll be starting in December
0: yeah I think I saw that in the solicit so yeah, print-
1: but the, the, Riley, Riley Brown and I are, are really totally doing this project with digital in mind first and foremost so in some ways it's going to be a little bit of a different project whether you see it digitally or in print. Not that content will be different, because it won't be, but how you absorb that content will be very different, because we're trying, we're working really, really, and let me add, really hard <laughs> to, to make it a digital experience and make the panel flows something very energetic and entertaining and, and unique. Uh, almost to the point where they become you know, low-grade animations if you're scrolling the panels properly by the way we move our figures in our panels and the way we move our backgrounds and stuff like that. Um, we're also trying a couple tricks that wouldn't work in print because we're going to have sequences where you're, you're going to be able to read it forwards or backwards depending on which way you're scrolling and read two slightly different stories as a result. Uh, we're, we're pulling out a lot of stops, and we're working really, really hard to make this make this something interesting and unique. Um, so, although the digital, the print version, I think, is going to be a really entertaining, you know, Deadpool and Cable reunion, and a lot of the fans of both characters and of the original book that I did are going to really enjoy it, it. The digital experience is going to be something I think a little refreshing.
0: Whose idea was it for this originally to you know start as a digital? Marvel,
1: Marvel approached us to do it as a digital project first. They, they're, they're vested in trying to continue to develop their infinite format. Um, the Deadpool's uh, gauntlet infinite series that Riley did with Jerry Dugan a couple of years ago, uh, at that time, was, I think, their best, their most successful digital project, and they were very, very pleased with the things Riley was doing with the format, because Riley's been thinking about this since we were working together on Cable Deadpool, and that was back in 2008. Um, he's been percolating digital comics approach since then and the things he wanted to try to do with the format. So he, he was really primed to do it when him and Jerry did that book, and, and I think that we're doing even more with this series than they did with theirs, just because Riley has two years more experience, um, and, and I am an old dog that is very very good at learning new tricks so <laughs> i have no problem whatsoever diving into the format i'm enjoying it tremendously although i will say it's about three times more work than a normal book but apparently we're not getting paid three times more
0: <laughs> <laughs> now when you got now have you already kind of worked on a, adapting it to the print version already or because you no, obviously no, pay,
1: no it's already it's done all at the same time okay I mean, when Riley is working on it, he he lays it out as as screens, but he's configured the screens for, for regular size comic pages, too. So he knows how many panels are going to equal one page when he's already breaking it down. So I get two layouts. I get a, a screen scroll version of the layouts, and then I get a print version of the layouts. But I'm scripting off of the screen... Layouts, because my my writing is being done to the cadence and the beat that you're you're reading it online or digitally, not to the cadence and beat that you're reading a print version. Okay, mm. which means balloons are going balloons in the, in the in the digital version can can appear in a, in a, um, in, a uh, in a in a in a manner that allows for jokes to have a beat on screen and allows for dialogue to appear on a balloon after a balloon has appeared above it, which creates a little, more, um, a little more cadence and patter that makes the jokes a little different than if you're reading them on a printed page where you see it all at the same time. You know? um, so, so there's subtle differences, but, but there are, they're, they're definitely there. Uh, but, but it all gets done at the same time.
0: Now, what's it like kind of getting your hands back into Cable? Because Cable's gone through a lot of changes since you were last kind of writing them. Yeah, I, um,
1: they, they, they they told me not to worry about seven years of continuity, but they gave me the 20... I, I got to read the, the last book he was in, the X-Force book uh, that just came out. Um, and, and, and you know, he was close enough to my character that I was okay with it. Um uh, What I like about it is that they asked me if I could bridge the gap between what happened to him in X-Force and where they want him for his next appearance, which I can't reveal where it's going to be, but they asked me to do something specific in the story that will enable me to get the character from point A to point B, and I was more than happy to do that, Um, and and that's that's what I'm getting to do. The, The fun part about writing this is that the two characters are kind of in a different place. You know, Deadpool is kind of in a more stable, secure place, and De- Cable's the one who's a little beat up and insecure and uncertain about himself. Um, so it makes for a slightly different dynamic when Deadpool's the more confident one. Uh, so I, I make I make sure that I have Deadpool point Dead out as constantly as possible, that he's far more popular now. Uh <laughs> It's like being a political candidate up against Trump. All he's going to do is talk about his poll numbers. <laughs> it's, it's not about the quality, it's about the quantity. Um, so we have a, a couple a couple running gags about, about the fact that Deadpool's on top now. Because even to the point where they're flipping the title, so it's Deadpool and Cable, which is cute, and I get it, although it doesn't read as well as Cable and Deadpool does. Um, I have Deadpool even making fun of the fact that he's on t- top on the logo now.
0: <laughs> now, um, a question I want to ask about that. So you're you're transitioning Cable to where he needs to be. What about with Deadpool? Are we going to see a lot more development for Deadpool here? Or is no, he... I
1: can't do too much because he's got he's got I think he's got like seven or eight monthly books, and <laughs> I'm not writing any of them, so I can't I can't presume to to do too much there. I I, I I'm using aspects of his ongoing series that Jerry's working on. I have supporting characters. From that book appearing in this I have, I have Shikla's wife Appearing in it um, And I have Bob, Agent On Hydra Appearing in it just a little bit um, so, so I'm basically trying to pull And draw from a couple things there But it, it, ultimately the story Ended up focusing pretty heavily On just Cable and Deadpool And that was fine with me um, uh, You know, I, if they asked me to do More Deadpool stuff I would do it in a second Because it's, it's kind of therapeutic For me to do it um, and, and I think it's good for the character that I'm doing it, too. Uh, but but I'm not going to presume to step on toes of people that are working on the monthly books. The, I'm, I'm not that kind of writer, although I've had plenty of other writers be that kind of writer to me.
0: Now, with with Cable, are we going to get to see any... Uh, you just said that the focus is mainly on the two of them, but what about some of his supporting cast you had back in the past? Uh,
1: no, no, he's he's... Part of the whole thing is that he's really kind of on his own right now. Uh, that's part of the shtick sh- the of the story, that, that he's kind of isolated and on his own. Um, and, and maybe by the end of the story, he, he realizes that that's not a good thing for him. We'll see. But, but during the course of this story, he needs to come through that and find a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. He's, he's kind of in a depressed state when, when we pick up on him, and he's kind of he's losing his marbles.
0: Do you think he's more interesting as the loner or someone who has people around him?
1: Uh, no, I, th- I think he's more interesting as the loner who has people around him. <laughs> <laughs> so more like I don't think it's either or. I think that I think that the way, the strength of the character is is playing up the fact that he has no choice but to be a leader, and and he has followers who only follow because they are afraid of him or because they revere him. And, and that pressure, either way, is always a little too too much for him.
0: Okay. And then, obviously, right now you're also work Well, you have been working on the Secret Wars tie-in, Age of Apocalypse. Yes. And uh, I looks like fan reaction has been pretty strong to this. I mean, what you Yeah, what is your it's take been really that?
1: positive. The reviews have been real strong. The the, the feedback online and on, and on 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 social media and Twitter has been really positive too. You know, the sales—the first issue of sales were fantastic because it was in the top ten. But I honestly don't know where the book has landed sales-wise. Um, but those are things you have no control over. You just—you're just trying to tell a story, you know. And and I think that although although I probably wouldn't have minded having uh, one more issue, uh, things get a little little squeezed in tight in the last couple issues. Uh, I still have really enjoyed telling a very very different version of, a, of the apocalypse, you know, the age of apocalypse storyline.
0: What uh, specific changes do you did you really like that you got to kind of tweak as opposed to the original? A
1: uh, lot less characters, a lot simpler <laughs> story structure, a lot less uh, techno babble, science fiction hoo ha. Uh, no rogue Magneto marriage. Uh, thank you very much. <laughs> um, no no editorial uh, input. That's that means changing stuff constantly at the last minute. And since I wrote this whole thing myself, and it was only five issues, I knew the ending when I started writing issue one, as opposed to the original.
0: <laughs> That'd be a pretty big difference.
1: Yeah, I think <laughs> you think.
0: And um, no, well, where where did your uh, impetus to add uh, Doctor Nemesis come from?
1: I liked the character. I read him in a couple trade paperbacks that that I that I'd seen over the last couple of years and I just liked the character and I wanted McCoy initially to have someone to bounce off of um so I made him basically Hank McCoy's assistant Uh, but the character's personality I don't think would change that much in an alternate universe so he doesn't think he should be any man's assistant so it made a lot of sense to make him be the you know the background catalyst for everything that was going on um and making him the bigger bad behind Apocalypse was just a twist because I wanted to. I thought if I'm going to do it, let me have fun. Let me do some unexpected twists. I think Apocalypse releasing the Legacy Virus like he did was a surprise to a lot of readers. I think Apocalypse dying in issue four was, and Magneto dying in issue four was a big surprise to a lot of readers. Um, when you're working with a five issue format and you know that you're not going to worry about an issue six, and you know you don't need to worry about preserving the status quo of the story world because you don't it's a it's a five issue and you're done miniseries um you can you can do a lot more things and take a lot more chances um and, and that was fun to do i
0: mean it's, i guess that's kind of the the appeal of the old what if comics is that they could kind of very
1: much so in fact as i was talking i was going to say it's like writing on an old what if issue but i didn't know for sure how many people would get that reference
0: <laughs> yeah, a lot of people like the what if concept <laughs>
1: What if enough people like the "what if" concept to have kept it as a viable ongoing series? Uh, How about that as a "what if"?
0: Well, I mean, they keep bringing it back every couple of years as a series of mini-series here and there. Yeah, so Trade it, protection. It, 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 yeah, probably, but it doesn't quite die. Nothing dies; it just gets reborn over and over again. Um, now, uh, another question I wanted to ask was: um, So you got to work with uh, Sandoval and Coelho, um what about them do you think that they were able to really bring your scripts to life like what uh,
1: very different things um, I think Gerardo is brought a lot of like kind of kind of wild manic energy a lot of testosterone to it. Um, it it's I was I was telling people it was like a combination of Joe Madureira inked, inked by Klaus Janssen which so it, it was it was both. Kind of, kind of wild and, and a little bit manga esque, but also gritty and dark. Um, and and I, and I liked it. It was a little over the top sometimes, but but that's okay too because it was fun. Uh, and and uh, Iban, to his credit, was thrown into the mix and had tough schedules to keep and lots of characters and lots of things going on. And, and I thought that he handled the storytelling really really fluently and elegantly and even though his style is not the same as Gerardo's I think that I think the overall tone of the book stayed strong Um, and I'm very thankful that he did the last two issues only in that because of his storytelling chops everything that's happening is pretty clear in the in the panels and and that's not that's not as, as much Gerardo's strength. Gerardo is much more about powerful images um, and, and evocative art. Um, so so I think the choreography of some of the stuff that Iban had to do uh, worked out much better because he was doing
0: it. Is there anything that you didn't really get a chance to put in, or you you thought of after you'd already put the script together? Um,
1: no, I, I asked. I, I honestly, it's not a big deal. It's not a. a, a a me angry or fighting thing, but I asked if I could make the last issue, uh, extra pages like they gave me for the first issue. Um, they gave me 30 pages for the first issue and I asked if I could have 30 pages for the last issue because it really needed it. And they said that they couldn't do it, you know, pub, you know, publishing budget, et cetera, et cetera. Fine. I get it. Um, I, I would have liked those extra pages cause I think the last issue is a little cramped. Um, it's a little tight, and I didn't have enough breathing room. And when you read it, you'll see that I think all the ideas are there, but every one of those ideas probably could have used an extra page or two. You know? <laughs> um, and and that, that's my only regret at all about the whole series. I had a fun time doing it, working with, with, with um, Katie and Christina. The editors was fantastic. They were great to work with. Uh, Mike Martz left after like the first issue or two to go start his own company um so that could have been an awkward transition but but katie and christina were fantastic so um uh, everything worked out fine as far as i was concerned uh
0: before we take a, an extended look backwards looking forwards uh after the upcoming deadpool cable series what else can we look forward to seeing from you
1: nothing that i can announce okay but there is stuff coming up uh, I'm working on a, a, a couple, uh, something for DC, something for Marvel, something for some couple creator-owned things. Um, so, uh, something for my brother's company that he started uh, called LNL, which is a digital comic company. He's doing stuff with William Shatner. Uh, he's going to announce something that I'm working on for him, which is a, a lot of fun and something I'm really proud to be a part of. Uh, he'll, I think he's going to announce that at Comic Con or right after Comic Con.
0: Okay, so we, so there's uh, irons in the fire.
1: There are, there are, yes, there are irons in <laughs> the fire.
0: Uh, I have a few listener questions. Um, one was about never convicted. <laughs> when writing for uh, for Bob Harris, um, we had we a few months ago. We spoke to Scott Labdell, and he had said that he rarely planned his plots beyond a few issues when writing for Harris. Did you have the same type of approach at the uh, time? No,
1: but because Scott didn't plan his plots for more than a few issues writing for bob harris which is hilarious that scott would say that because he was doing that for himself um because because of that i couldn't plot my books for more than a few pages so it worked out really really well for me
0: <laughs> um now another question about bob harris is that you had mentioned in our last interview that at times sections of your stories were rewritten unfortunately um, do you remember some of the specific ones that unfortunately had these rewrites uh,
1: dialogue more than more than story structure or plots Okay. Um, the plots really weren't rewritten after they were approved and done later on in the entire run the, the more Scott and Bob kind of got into a little bit of an ADD complex where they were chasing every moth to the light um, and they couldn't focus uh, when the then it became a problem because too many decisions were being made as books were being written. Literally, as they were being written. So that's why I'm joking. I could plot five pages at a time. That that was toward the end of my whole run when I decided enough was enough and, and I quit the excellent books. Um, but before that, uh, it was mostly dialogue related. And and, and it, it really is just a matter of the preference of the voice. And, and, and Bob... Bob's voice is a little more overdramatic and, and usually has a hard time with humor, doesn't, isn't, isn't comfortable with humor. Um, so what you ended up getting was rewrites that added more weight to the captions and, and more drama and angst than what the captions might have had and usually cut out a lot of the humor. A lot of the humor was cut out. And, you know, that was frustrating because I thought that the books really needed a balance. Um, but more importantly, it, uh, in hindsight, it, it's it, it, it's not that bad a thing because Andy, Andy the Cuber was a phenomenally good artist, but he's not that good at drawing humor, and he's not that good at drawing character by play. He's not good at little background bits. That's just not as his his forte is strength and power, um, and that he did phenomenally well. Um, so some of the humor was going to fall flat if the art isn't isn't working with you. Um, so, so I know for a fact that the latter half of X Men twenty five had a lot of rewrites that I don't think worked as well, and they just weren't as elegant. They were a little too thick and clunky. Uh, the one that the one that probably the two that bothered me the most um, was. The X-Men wedding issue Which had a lot of caption rewrites Which really frustrated me Because I thought my original script was stronger Um, And X-Force Annual 3 Which had almost a complete Top to bottom Narrative rewrite Of her captions Which infuriated me Because A, mine were better And B, it changed It changed the, the, the Depth of her conflict in the story it lightened the load on her and I thought just the opposite should have been the case so those were ones that I those are three that I specifically recall as being things that bothered me but that's a lot of me just putting it behind me because I'm I was bothered every single month and it was just a, a, a working untenable situation guess what though Crimea a river you know I, I can walk away anytime I want I chose to try to fight it out for longer than I should have and, and when when the time was when I was done is when I was done. That's when I quit.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, now another listener question was uh, he listened to our last interview and he said that uh, it seemed from our interview that you were the kind of the the architect of Executioner's song. Um, so he wanted to hear more about you as the architect. Um,
1: I you know there's not that much elaboration I don't think from what I said before because the because the, the guys left the books the way they did to go form image we were really really tight on time on what was already scheduled as a cross line crossover um, and, and we had to we had to do it fast and I think that I talked to Bob about putting together an outline for a story that was going to involve Strife and Cable and merging all the teams together and he thought that that was a good idea so I just basically did a breakdown and, and when Bob liked that enough to flesh out I then fleshed out each issue just enough that each of the writers would have an idea of what their beats needed to be and I did I did a chart like a a, a, a grid chart um, uh, with all nine issues on it in little boxes and it, it said what the core plot was and what the What the subplots were that we're going to need to feed into the next issue, and I think all the writers worked off of those, and I I recall it going pretty smoothly, all things considered, Um, considering we had just a few months to be able to turn this whole thing around, um, I, I recall that it went pretty well, because... No one was fighting, no one was arguing, no one was staking claims, no one was trying to mark their territory. At that time, everyone was just kind of coming onto the books, so it was actually very positive energy, not negative energy. Um, And and there was a sense of of everyone working together, in essence, to prove that we can make these books continue to succeed, which we did. uh, From a sales standpoint, anyway, we certainly did. Um, so, So... you know that, that's really all I recall of it I don't recall actual details of the individual issues or anything like that and I also don't recall any real problems I don't recall any, any panicked problems about someone not willing to do something or, or someone getting something totally wrong I just don't recall any of those things happening
0: which is kind of a, 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 almost a miracle in some ways given what it sounds like it was kind of putting it all together like what it could have been
1: yeah, you know why? I think, I think it's because we. It, it was, in that particular case, it worked that one writer had a structure and and in essence put it all down on paper so that everyone could look at it and see where it was at. You know, it wasn't. An, it wasn't. Other other subsequent crossovers had lots of people banding back and forth ideas and that's good too because you get a lot of stuff that you normally wouldn't get like wolverine skeleton getting ripped out in in fatal attractions so you get stuff like that that's fun um and and it becomes very collaborative but it's also a little messier And, and and sometimes it also gets a little pissier because people start marking territories and what also happens a lot in these crossovers is that writer writer of book x comes up with an idea for book Y but that writer's not writing book Y but they're they're in essence either trying to trying to stake a claim to book Y or show that they're smarter than the writer of book Y or they want to screw book Y up a little bit then it then it becomes silly and childish and, and and a little bit of ego gets thrown in there when when multiple writers are all bandying about ideas um executioner song ended up being kind of a a comfortable crossover because the foundation was something that I set that Bob approved and no one had a problem with so it made it easier to do. Plus, it was nine issues which isn't that bad. You know, That's not that much. Um, Wait, was it nine issues or 12 issues? It was 12 issues, wasn't it?
0: I think it was 12.
1: Yeah, yeah, because it was both X-Men titles and then X-Force and X-Factor. You know, we didn't have to worry about Excalibur and Generation X and Wolverine and all those other things. So... That makes it a little bit easier too. Twelve is twelve is manageable. That's a book a week for three months. You know that that's very manageable in comparison to ten, or to fifteen, or twenty, or thirty. You know, part crossovers. Um, I, I remember Galactic Storm, that was a twenty-one part crossover. <laughs> but that was that was Mark Grunwald and Bob Harris and myself as the Wonder Man editor uh, getting together at least three times a week for about three to four weeks during lunch and hammering this thing out between the three of us. And in essence, then that pissed some writers off because we were assigning stuff to them. And there were some writers that weren't happy about some of the things that we were assigning them. And there were other writers who were really happy about about their roles in the storyline. Um, but that was 21 parts, so that was a lot. And, and it took us a while to hammer all of that out because there were lots of moving parts. There were lots of characters involved. Uh, there was a lot of conflict about internally about the choices we were trying to make with some of the characters. And I remember Bob and I were really pushing... For the Avengers to do some things that Mark Grunwald didn't believe the Avengers should be doing, and that's exactly why Bob and I were pushing for them to do it—killing uh, k- Supreme Intelligence. So that was, and then Bob, Bob, Mark, and I got along great, and we were all good friends in the office. So, it, you know, that when I say we had conflict, it was it was it was creative conflict that we were working our way through. And Mark accepted being outvoted by me and Bob two to one, which is to his credit because he was also the executive editor. <laughs> um, but but he was willing to allow us to, to go in a direction that he didn't necessarily agree with because so many of the creative people agreed with that direction, even if it wasn't his preference. Um, so I remember that as a really, really enjoyable, if if very challenging and difficult crossover to put together.
0: I guess it's helpful to have gone through experiences like that so that when you were Kind of uh, creating an event yourself, you have a good a good place to kind of come from. Like you know what it what it looks like.
1: Uh, Yeah, it's uh, you know in in many ways it's harder to create an event by yourself, And, and especially after having been involved in so many of them that were that were collaborative in nature for good and bad. But the collaboration, even for good and bad, is still usually better than trying to do. A 12 part thing by yourself because it's it's a lot of nooks and crannies and and, and keeping track of all of those and making them all work is really difficult if it's only one writer putting it together that that, that's when it's really good to have multiple voices to bounce off of because because you come up with more possibilities and sometimes that's really good because it, it opens up doors that you may not have seen yourself, or you may have been afraid to open up yourself, you know, and needed someone else to do it for you to make you make you go, okay, it's it's all right to go there. Um, so so th- there's good and you know there's positives and negatives to all of it. Uh, it, it. It is harder for me to work on crossovers now where I am not allowed to have a voice in uh, in major aspects of of what's happening, only because. I, you know, I, I, I'm not as good at being assigned something as I am being an architect of something. I believe, um, you know, unless it's something like Convergence, because that's a different beast altogether. Because the, the the books I was writing were not integrally involved in the core storyline at all. You know what I mean? So it's it's really like you're just writing something off in its own little corner. Um, but but and and luckily for me, Secret Wars: Age of Apocalypse was kind of the same thing. I, I, I asked where am I falling into all of this stuff that's happening on Battleworld and all of the complications and all of the, the stuff that Hickman did for the last 47 years to build up to this and I didn't know and they said don't worry we this is one of the series that we want to be kind of self-contained you can have a couple allusions here and there to other stuff but we thought this was an important series to be self-contained just because of the nature of how big apocalypse is you know um the minute you take Apocalypse over that border, you're complicating a lot of stuff for a lot of other books, and, and, and I totally got that, so I was really happy that my five issues were just my five issues. I didn't have to worry about all the other stuff.
0: Going back to Executioner's Song for a second, I guess it probably helped as well that you were actually the writer of two of the titles, so you know, not only were you kind of plotting out the entire thing, but you actually got to write six of the issues yourself.
1: Yeah, but I was a total dick because I rewrote myself like two, three times. I was really mad at myself, so <laughs> I rewrote all my narrative captions on two books, and, and, and the other me was really mad.
0: <laughs> when you were uh, when you're putting them together, it's interesting looking at it now because you, know, you kind of put together the outline, and then you were basically doing the last two chapters of every, kind of, of every month, basically. Uh, it's interesting that you didn't actually start the the actual event yourself.
1: I think a lot of that had to do with the shipping weeks more than anything. Okay. I, I think that had to do with the preordained slot that the titles had in the in the monthly shipping schedule. So all I was doing basically was following the where the titles were already shipping. I'm pretty sure. I don't remember us flopping or flipping books on the schedule. Uh, 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 because the story required title A or B to, to have a specific part in it. Um, it just was what it was, you know? Okay.
0: Well, it's interesting because I guess in the more modern publishing context, it feels like they're much more liberal with moving shipping dates around, but I guess this is back when that wasn't the case.
1: No, not at all because we these books also went on the newsstand and they had a, they had a cycle they had to go through on the newsstand and, and they had to be out on the newsstand at a certain time so you know that, that when they were supposed to ship that was when they shipped and and you didn't want books to miss shipping by by two three four weeks ever
0: now when you were doing uh x-force with capuyo uh, were you mainly doing marvel method at the time
1: all my books were were done plot first back then i didn't start doing full scripts until marvel started asking of asking it of many of its writers in the early aughts um I think my first full scripts actually were for Cable Deadpool. Um, I, I worked plot only from 1987 to 2004. Uh, so yes, they were all plot first, and, and they were all... I, I prefer plot plot first, too, still to this day. Um, if you're working with the right artist, and Greg Capullo is always the right artist, uh, working plot first is a much more enjoyable, collaborative way... To to create a comic book, in my opinion,
0: the reason why I ask is I was uh, as, as we we're talking, I was flipping through X Force what sixteen, which is part four of the Executioner's song, and I came across what I think is probably one of the more parodied shots of Cable. I don't know if you recall it, but he had. I mean, there's a lot of shots of Cable in that in this era with a lot of stuff packed onto him, but on that particular shot, like I don't even know how the man moves.
1: Yeah, we actually, I'm pretty sure that my plot description called it. Called for it to be the most ridiculous, over, over weaponized, over padded, over belt buckled and harnessed shot of cable that you've ever seen in any book ever. And and part of that was it was just having fun and and a, and a coy a coy shot at Rob, uh, but but the other part of it was that Greg wanted to try. It. So so it, it was it was all good and and it was completely purposefully meant to be over the top.
0: I know this is a long time ago, but. Doing a crossover like this, obviously some characters are not always going to be your favorite or they're going to be a little harder to write. Do you remember any specific characters having difficulty with?
1: Um, geez, no, I don't. Not at this point. It's too long ago. I, I, I'm sure that I was very, I felt very intimidated and challenged writing any of the X Force characters. I don't even know how many of them I wrote. Um, I had no problems writing any of the X-Men characters, and I certainly had no problems writing any of the X-Force characters. But I'm sure that because I respected Peter David's voice in X-Factor so much, um, and by respect I mean, damn, I wish I could do that, <laughs> um, I, I, I'm sure that when I, if I wrote any of those characters, I, I, I had a little bit of trepidation going into it. Um, but not not any of the X characters. Um, I've been reading the book since. I've been reading the book since Giant Size X Men number one came out on the seven eleven rack near my house. Um Crow- it was a Krauser's rack actually near my house. Um and, and and I was very, very comfortable with what Chris's voice had been and how I was going to try to manage that voice for our new books, you know.
0: Absolutely. Now in in the climactic kind of chapters of Executioner Song, you also you know, kind of killed Apocalypse at least for that moment. Uh, what was like? What what was your I guess aim with that? Were you intending him to be dead, or were you intending it to kind of be just a stopgap? Or yeah, no,
1: we never, we never, we never killed anyone off thinking that they were killed off for real. I mean, not not a villain, not a villain like Apocalypse. I mean, we we needed to have a moment of triumph for the X Men. We needed to, to give a we need to get we needed to give the character of Apocalypse a bit of a of a break. You know you. you need to you need to step back off certain characters sometimes and let them let them kind of kind of just percolate under the under the radar for a while before you bring them back um and and i wanted to move forward without with the with the specter of apocalypse shadowing everything the cable had to deal with but not actually having to deal with apocalypse you know um so so when you're doing a twelve-part crossover, you damn well better have some kind of a payoff. There better be some kind of a status quo change. There better be some kind of a shakeup. Otherwise, why are you asking your readers to invest that much time and effort and money into into the publishing program? You know. So we knew that we were going to try to do some some big shakes.
0: Now, what I found interesting. So they uh, at the same time, you got Well, Marvel had published the uh, Strife Strike file. Uh, which I guess is technically written by you and Scott. What was it like kind of writing something like
1: this? Well, I had started doing... I did a few of those entries. Um, They were like apocalypse log files, and we did them in the back of X Factor. Uh, That was because I think Wills was running really tight on deadlines, so he wasn't going to be able to do 22-page issues. He was going to be able to do like 17 pages, and, and he was able to manage that. Um, So I think Bob and I talked about that because I was in the office at the time as an editor and it made it really easy. When there were problems, it made it really easy to just sit and talk them through, you know. Um, So I think that I talked to him about doing like almost like typeset data entries using existing stock art. And it would, be, it would be something that he'd be able to turn around in production in a day without a problem. So if an editor finds out they can do five pages of their book that's running really late in a day that's kind of like a godsend you know they don't have to worry about hiring an artist a, a pencil or a letter an ink, you know an ink or a colorist <laughs> All they needed to do is have me hand in my typeset and my, my typewritten entries and all they had to do is run it through the typesetter in the office and 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 stack camera the the artwork and, and someone in the bullpen would paste it all together you know so that's why we did those entries. Lo and behold, they were really well received by readers, and and we got a lot of letters that really enjoyed that kind of a take on 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 looking at a character, you know, the perspective of a villain on a character. So when Marvel's budget crunchers were looking to wring every single drop of blood that they could from our brains, um, they, Bob, I think. Suggested and a book that was going to be like that, like Stripes, you know, like like those file things. And I don't remember how many I wrote. I don't remember how many Scott wrote. I, I don't. I haven't looked at Strife's Strike file in like twenty years, at least. Um, but 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 it was a way to get product out um, that that was going to minimize the the workload of the editorial office. Um, and the thing sold like freaking crazy. I think it sold like 300,000 copies. Um, so, so, you know, it, it ended up being a, front, a fun project from that regard. But I, I have zero memories actually of working on Strike Strike File, but in comparison to those original Apocalypse entries I did for Bob.
0: Does the name of it almost make you wonder, like, oh, why is it called a strike file?
1: I didn't like it at all because it was very difficult for me to say after a few beers, so I didn't like to have to do that.
0: <laughs> it's interesting, too. It's, it's very of the time, even just looking at the cover. It's a special X-Men collectible back when that meant something.
1: Yes, when it actually was collectible. But, hey, you know, you never know those four-for-a-dollar box comics could be worth five, 600 bucks today. You never know what happens. The <laughs> New Mutants 98...
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, no, move let's let's jump forward like eight years or so. Um, so I'm holding in my hands Thunderbolts 39, uh, which has always been a favorite issue of mine that you wrote. Uh, which interesting is this is back when they used to do the 100-page monsters.
1: Yeah, I love that
0: format. I was going to ask. Now, were you in any way asked about the other uh, books that would be reprinted as part of this, or...? no
1: tom told me what was going to be reprinted in it and i remember being really fake mad because i had all those issues in my basement already and i was really (laughs) mad that nothing was going to be reprinted in that book that was new to me um (laughs) and i wanted the monster i worked on to at least have some issues that i didn't have already in my collection um but I, i love the format i know tom brevoort loved the format too i thought it was great i don't know if it's I don't know if it's a cost-effective format. I, I don't know if it was back then. I certainly don't know if it is today. Uh, I, I have. I wasn't involved in any of the, you know, the the, the budgeting aspects of it. Um, but I do really, really like that kind of big format. It reminded me of the DC hundred-page books I used to get when I was 10, 10, 11 years old. You know.
0: Oh, exactly. Yeah. No, I. As you said, it's probably not efficient, maybe financially, but it was a. I, I thought it was a great concept and a great way to get and get people enjoying old issues.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I did too. I, I think it's a great way to expose readers to to some of the stories of the past. Um, hopefully, in a way that makes them interested in, in reading more about that stuff. Um, so, so I like the format a lot, and I loved I loved that issue. I love. I love working with Bagley on that issue. I, I thought that that was one of those that, that just really came together nicely for me.
0: Oh, absolutely! I'm just again. I, I've always thought it was an extremely strong issue, just because the uh, the duel between Zemo and uh, Scourge was extremely invigorating, and also you you were seeding the idea of you know who is Scourge and what what is he able to do with all the tech.
1: Yes, it was a great. It was great because you know we weren't going to reveal who Scourge was, but we were going to be able to use the situation to provide lots of hints. Um, and, 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 but what I like most about it is that if you read that and then you read the next 50 issues of Thunderbolts that I did, you get a real sense of how that issue was a major, a major kind of, um, marking point for Zemo's characterization growth and development. Um, and, and, and I really enjoy I really enjoyed it for that that part of it. I really enjoyed it. The scourge aspect of it was fun and Mark did a fantastic job drawing everything, but what I took what I liked most about it as a writer was the fact that I, I knew where I wanted to go with Zemo and I knew what a long road it was gonna be, but I could lay the foundation down in a very important story. You know, the story where he dies is the story where he is born. You
0: know? Absolutely um, what, and so you already knew that you were going to bring back Zemo?
1: Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. No, listen, there's not a single <laughs> character that I ever killed in Thunderbolts that I didn't know I was going to bring back, and I already had a very, very strong idea of how I was going to bring them back.
0: Um, well, what about the Redeemers that you murdered pretty quickly?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that's all fine. No, I mean, I mean, the core Thunderbolts deaths. I mean, okay. I, 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 I knew... Why I was doing it I know that I overplayed the hand I know I did But I couldn't help but have Continued fun With the whole supervillain trope and the supervillain trope is that they used to die at the end of almost every book they ever appeared in in the 60s and 70s, and then they would come back. And And I wanted to play that out, I, even though they were trying to be heroes, that these guys keep getting killed and keep coming back. And, yes, I heard the fan complaints that it makes, you know, death unimportant, and I heard all of that. And, and you know, quite frankly, for that particular book, I didn't care because it was it – was Part of its DNA that these characters are supervillains, and part of a supervillain's DNA is that they always come back, you know? So, so it, it was fine for me. I, I, fine for me as a writer, I had no problem with it. I can't speak to how a lot of readers took it. Um, half of them loved it, half of them didn't like it. That's, that's fine. That's part of the fun.
0: Now, where did the concept for the Redeemers kind of come from? And, like, you used old names and kind of new versions of them why did you want to go back to some of those names and and get to see new slants on familiar concepts?
1: I think again, it's, it was all when I was Tom and I were always trying to come up with ways to keep twisting the 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 the, the, the DNA of the concept. Um, I think that the idea of taking pre-existing villain names and putting new characters in them as a way to redeem them was part and parcel of the thunderbolts taking on hero identities initially as a scam and then later as a means to redeem themselves you know um so so i thought that it was all it was all reflective of the dna of the book and everything i tried to do in that book was always kind of a reflection on the whole dichotomy between superheroes and supervillains
0: now this this question I'm sure I must have asked it before, but so I do apologize for retreading old ground. But never never convicted. <laughs> who was who more fun to write techno uh, as a robot or as the fixer?
1: Oh, the fixer. What? Oh, my, not even close. Not even close for me.
0: What was it about Norbert that really worked for you? I I,
1: I, I have come to realize after doing this for been almost 30 years now that uh, I like writing intelligent hyper, hyper intelligent arrogant characters and the reason for that is because I'm 50% of that myself okay <laughs> so, so so I I'm very good at I think handling characters like fixer and Zemo and cable who 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 are uh, even Tim Drake who's not arrogant but characters that are smarter than me and are smarter than most of you and and know it you know um and and how they handle knowing it varies from character to character you know like tim drake doesn't flaunt it but he's smarter than us you know what i mean and he's a damn kid um Fixer is smarter than we are. You got to accept that a character who can do the things they can do are smarter than we are. I like writing that. I like writing above my level, above my pay grade. Um, it makes me. It makes me feel good about myself when I when I successfully navigate their minds. Um, so so that's why I like writing those characters.
0: I guess with the same hold true for I guess for Carlos very much the same type of idea that hyper intelligent very arrogant.
1: Yeah, but in a different way because she's a narcissist, um, and and some of the other characters aren't narcissists necessarily, um, and she is. So I don't. It's funny. I don't think of her as that hyper intelligent. I just think of her as really arrogant and a narcissist, <laughs> but also incredibly insecure uh, and unwilling to admit it. So every character has slightly different. Uh, different baggage that they're carrying, especially in the Thunderbolts, and that's one reason why I enjoyed writing the book. You know, as much as I did, is because all of those characters, all of them, really, really were rich characters to work on.
0: Uh, and the relationship between Moonstone or Meteorite and Hawkeye, it felt natural when reading it. But where did that kind of, was there something in there of their interactions when music was writing it that kind of made you think maybe this would work?
1: Well, Kurt started that whole thing off with them. Um, it, it was natural that she would try to manipulate him the easiest way possible. And let's face it, Hawkeye has always been somebody who's very e- easily manipulated by his shafts. So, <laughs> so it was very logical that Carla would try to manipulate his arrow. Um, and and the, the hook for me was in making her start to fall in love with him to to really have feelings for him um which is something she hated about herself and also was secretly thrilled about you know what i mean so so for me the twist was the manipulator becomes manipulated by the truth of her feelings um and that's how i always tried to uh, to approach it with them uh, and I, I enjoyed that relationship a lot. I haven't I honestly haven't reread those issues in a long long time. Um, I haven't reread my run of Thunderbolts. I, I reread the later stuff I did with Grummet recently because I had it in trade paperbacks, but because I didn't they haven't trade paperbacked the run I did with Mark, I, I, they're all loose and they're all in the basement. so I just haven't pulled them out and reread them uh, in, in a while. I, I probably should give it a go. I like rereading my work. 10, 15, 20 years later, just to see how bad it was or how how or where it holds up. Um, so Thunderbolts is definitely going to be on the list for 2016 to reread.
0: <laughs> I do hope that eventually they do get to trading it, because for a while they were yeah, doing just the... Yeah, I heard that they're, uh...
1: tra- they're going to they're do that, um, I love the format, what's it called? They just did a couple of them, Epic Collections. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard that they're going to do an Epic Collection of Thunderbolts or something.
0: Well, I think they're they're reprinting the Thunderbolts classic they did a few years ago. They started do they got up the three volumes of the classic which I think got up to around issue 22. Um, okay. Or just when Hawkeye was getting into the book, so I was always just very hopeful that they would continue that line to get to your run because you know fantastic. if they're
1: relaunching a new Thunderbolts title or if these trade paperbacks do well, maybe they'll continue reprinting it through through my run with Mark. It would be great if they did. I, I wish they would. I, I do think they're still really good stories. I, I but more importantly, I think they're great characters. I think they're excellent characters. They've been around Marvel's history forever, so so I think. I think the characters are worthy of the, of the reprinting and collection in as much as any of the work we did is worthy of it. And, and quite frankly, honestly, I do believe that the work we did is worthy of, of reprinting. I think the, the first 75 issues should be should be in trade paperback form because I think it was a very strong run of a very solid superhero book.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I, it's interesting, too, because, I mean, if you had to break it down, I mean, up your run up to issue 50 was like a great big story. And then, yeah, it was. and then fifty-one to seventy-five is the next story. Like it actually breaks out pretty nicely.
1: Yes, uh, and yeah, and I kind of planned it that way. I didn't plan on getting fired, but I planned on on the story being that through seventy-five at that point.
0: Um, with issue fifty, when you you kind of you you bring out Hawkeye, you, you put him in the jail for a while, and then you brought in Cap. What kind of prompted that uh, that direction? It was obviously short-lived on purpose, but. What led you to bring Cap into the Thunderbolts book? Shake it up
1: a bit. I thought that it would, um, I thought it, by bringing Cap into the book, it really legitimized all of Hawkeye's efforts, and that, that's kind of what Cap wanted to do. Um, I, I think it put the other characters on notice that they were going to, to you know, they're going to have to, they're going to have to live the life for real if, if this guy's involved, you know? Um, but, but more than anything, once in a while in that book, you had to have, had to have a a little bit of a shock and a surprise every few issues and that that was that was our shock and our surprise for for those issues
0: what made you bring in rebel from the heroes reborn universe uh
1: what made me bring in rebel from the heroes reborn universe i honestly don't remember (laughs) um i don't remember I, i think again the the opportunity to um to show a flipped side of of what it means to be a hero or a villain the heroes Reborn born universe had gone through a lot of turmoil so it was an opportunity to explore a world without heroes in that regard and what happens to them um i think that i had the early inklings that i would want some of our characters to go there as a means of maybe allowing them to have the choice to become a world's a world's conqueror or a world's savior you know um the whole Squadron Supreme bit and, and if the Avengers went to Heroes Reborn World they would become the world's saviors without a question, right? But what happens if Zemo takes the, the Thunderbolts to that world? Then what happens? That was the inklings of my ideas for that, I think.
0: Where did the original concept to give Zemo the Moonstone come from?
1: I don't remember. Uh, probably just the idea that um, it would be a, it would be interesting to see him Gain increased powers. Um, I I honestly don't remember the, the, the timeline thinking on all of that. I just knew that it was the next natural progression for the character's arc. Because if he starts to evolve, what happens if he's granted the kind of power that makes it easy for him to slip back to the kind of person he was... But now an even more dangerous threat because he has the power. Or does he choose to use this power in a in a more uh, I won't say benevolent because that's not the right word, but in, in a more positive manner.
0: Now, one thing we never talked about uh, during our last interview was uh, back in the early two thousands. You wrote, a, I guess, a, a good run on uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer.
1: Yeah, Scott brought me in because he was needing help. Uh, Schedule-wise, so he asked uh, the editor Scott Alley if I could script. So I scripted some issues that he was plotting. Um, you know, which has happened a lot in my relationship with Scott, where he has deadline issues and, and I come in and help script. Um, I don't. I don't remember how how or why I became solo writer for the last arc. Um, I just know that we that Scott had already started the, the, the break, like telling stories between the movie and the TV show. Um, and, and and we knew that the series was going to end and we knew that Joss was going to start a new book. I knew. So Scott, Alley and I worked together on really trying to set up the first episode of the first season of Buffy. So really create a transition between the movie, um, and, and the TV show. Uh, I was really, really happy with the, the, the arc I did, Slayer Interrupted, the one I did solo. Um, and, and I know that, that Scott really liked it, too. The editor was very happy with it as well. Um, and I'm pretty sure that Whedon's, Whedon's people, whoever was reading it, were, were happy with it also. Um, I, I think it, I think that, that arc came together very nicely. And I was a Buffy fan from the very, very beginning. Uh the movie, not so much, but the TV show, for sure, from the very first episode. We used to watch it uh, when I was running Acclaim Comics. We'd watch it, and then the next day, we'd have lunch. A bunch of us would have lunch in the conference room and talk about it, and and basically break it down and do a, do a little DNA dissection of it. Um, so so it was a show that I, I enjoyed from the very beginning. So I was really really happy to, to get to be a small part of the comic book.
0: Uh, now, before you started launching Cable Deadpool, you also did uh, the short-lived Hawkeye miniseries. It wasn't a miniseries. Oh, was it, it was not? Sorry. It right? was
1: just a monthly series whose length had yet to be determined.
0: What was it like working on that after having written the character as part of the Thunderbolts for so long?
1: It was fantastic and infuriating all at the same time. Um, I, I love the character, and I loved... The idea of showing him at a costume in his downtime. I didn't like the idea that was kind of imposed by the, the, the president of the company at that time that all stories had to be drawn out ad infinitum. So the first story arc turned into six issues, and it really shouldn't have been more than three or four if it were done right. Um, so I think that resulted in, in a pace that. That couldn't support itself for the approach to the book. Um, I think my issues seven and eight were the best issues of the run, and 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 that's because it was a tight two-part story that had him in costume and out of costume. But I couldn't even get him into costume in the first arc until like the fifth issue or something. Um, I, I think that those kinds of things needed a better balance back then because the president of the company was willing to not have a character show up in costume till the end of issue six of a six-issue story that probably only should have been three issues of it if it had more more logical or at least let me say more comic book pace uh, more traditionally comic book oriented pacing to the stories um so so i i loved working on the book because i loved the character and i loved telling stories of him in this way and I, I actually reread those about a year ago, and, and it just brought up all the frustrations about it because I think that I think that we introduced a lot of things that that they just did in the recent run of the book. The you know the award-winning, highly lauded a run of the book. <laughs> they did they did a lot of things that were picking up on how we did that book. They had the luxury, the benefit of being able. Well, you know besides the fact that they're excellent creators a fraction and aha and, uh-huh, and everybody else who was working on it are, are excellent creators, but they had the luxury of not uh, being able to tell one and done stories or two part stories if they wanted, not stretching stuff out the way we had to. Um, w- which ultimately I think is what kind of kind of collapsed it under its own weight. Um, but I still I'm still pretty proud of, of a lot of the things we did with the character in that in those eight issues.
0: Now, with the original Cable Deadpool series, and again, I hate to retread all the ground, but I have a poor memory, so I might be. Um, did was it originally something that you had pitched as um, you know a team up book between the two, or was it something that came to you first?
1: They came to me. No, they. I was actually a bit on the outs. I hadn't written anything for them in over six months, and that uh, that that was that was a bit of a long time. Um, and um, they. Mike Martz called me up and said we're talking about doing a book and your name came up in a meeting because you know the characters and we were trying to figure out who understood these characters in order to do them properly we're talking about doing a book with Cable and Deadpool in it together and I said like a split book and like each of them get 11 pages a piece like the old Tales of Suspense They said, he said no no more like a buddy book and I said like Power Man and Iron Fist and they said yeah I said yeah, absolutely they could work together. And Mike's like, great, can, can you like come up with a pitch for it? And I said, sure. And I hung up the phone and I said, crap, how the hell am I going to do a book with these two together? They, they, should, they hate each other's guts and they should, the book should be one issue long because they should kill each other by page 22. Um, so I, I basically just started to think it through and, and tried to come up with the forced way they would be together as an odd couple and then little by little let that evolve into... Uh, into a a mutually beneficial relationship between two very lonely sad characters you know so that that's in essence what the book became it it became a buddy book about two guys who desperately need buddies um so so you know that was the simple that was a simple uh, uh, description as i can give you that that was why it worked and that was how it works, and that's how it still works to this day, even though each of their lives as characters has changed quite a bit since then. At the end of the day, there's still two people who need someone, and, and each of them are, are each other's safest bets.
0: What was it like to kind of bring Cable back more into a, I guess, for lack of a better term, more of a superhero as opposed to where he had been as Soldier X.
1: I I really, I read those two, I'll call them spin-off versions of, of Deadpool and, and Cable, but I didn't worry about them when I did my book because, I, and this is taking into account that I respect Gail Simone tremendously, and I think she's an excellent writer, those books didn't work. Agent X worked for what Gail was trying to do with it, but it wasn't Deadpool. And, and, and Soldier X wasn't Cable. So I didn't worry about them that much. Uh, They wouldn't have been coming to me to try to reclaim these characters if these characters didn't need to be reclaimed, (laughs) which means you, you aren't really beholden to what didn't work before you. Okay. Um, so, so I didn't worry that much about it, and and if there's if there's one thing that uh, I can say that Cable and Deadpool successfully did is that it reestablished and repositioned those characters, it breathed new life into both of them, and and it it gave Deadpool a chance to become a mini cottage industry. Okay, <laughs> so so I think that in that fifty issue run we more than did what marvel needed us to do with those characters um more more than did it um, so so i'm i'm quite happy and quite proud of that entire 50 issue run um and i think that the books hold up very very well still almost 10 years later um so but but trust me it wasn't a matter of of having to worry about soldier x or agent x it was almost the opposite
0: what uh what gave you the I guess the inspiration to kind of mix up and change cable's powers?
1: Um, just just this stupid desire to 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 muck around with science fiction techno Babble it always gets me in trouble um, really you know, you're, you're working on a monthly book and and you gotta you gotta keep it you got to keep the hamster wheel spinning, you know? you gotta, you got to keep things interesting. And, and Cable's powers, unfortunately, by their very nature, either escalate to godlike omnipotence or disappear to nothingness. So I, I wanted to try to balance all of that. And, and that's really one reason why I did it. Uh, the other aspect of it is I thought it would be interesting for this guy who is you know who is so much mechanical in a way to have mechanical powers as well and the fact that they simulated his mutant powers you know made it easy to to basically have him keep doing what he normally does but i just thought it would be fun to make them mechanically derived so i created mechanical versions of telepathy and telekinesis um and again it's just a means of trying to to keep the hamster wheel spinning in a positive manner um you know
0: with uh with that series i mean obviously we had the alterations to cable Um, You also got, I guess the the series became very well known for its funny recap pages at the front. Uh, Where did that concept come from? We
1: were told we had to have recap pages, and I never quite got it. Um, I understand the thinking behind it, but, you know, I'm old enough that, to me, you know, you open up the cover and you want a splash page screaming right at you in 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 an exciting way. But, you know, I get not doing it that way. I get, I get the idea of why you want to do a, a, a story so far, or this has gone on before. Um, but I wanted to find a way to do it our way. And I saw that some different writers in different books were, were doing more than just a, a simple typeset description of the previous issue. Um, so I started to, to play with it, and I started to have the characters talking back to you um and the minute you start doing that and if deadpool's doing the recap page it makes it real easy to to break the fourth wall with him and 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 have a little bit of fun with the entire concept of trying to summarize some of these ridiculously complicated stories um and then the letters page was easy because i wanted to do it in deadpool's voice I, i did all the letters pages myself um So I wanted to do it in Deadpool's voice because I thought it would be a great opportunity to make fun of the people sending letters into the book. Um, Because a lot of the letters are just dumb. So why not make fun of the people who are doing it? I I thought it was really, really very Deadpool-esque to make fun of his readers on a book that didn't have that many readers. (laughs) So so if I alienated three people a month, that could have been almost 10% of our audience. And I, I shouldn't have been doing that, but I couldn't help myself. And lo and behold, what ended up happening is that more people started writing in letters because they wanted to be made fun of by Deadpool. And more people started writing stupid letters purposefully in order to get Deadpool to make fun of them. Um, So so it worked out perfectly. It was actually a precursor to the character's growth in social media. um, In that he was able to engage directly with readers in a fun way that became very unique to that book uh in a, in a good way um so so i liked it a lot to the best of my knowledge i think they're still doing it or we're still doing it in the monthly comics that were being published now um but i'm sure they're nowhere near as funny as the ones i did
0: <laughs> for that book um what prompted you uh, what what about irene merriweather did you really like as a character? Um, I just
1: thought that I always like reporter characters because they, they can serve a very valuable purpose. They, they, they're almost always detached observers of events, but at the same time can help summarize events for you. So I, I liked her in that capacity. Um, Cable didn't have that many civilian characters in his supporting cast. So, so, I think Joe Casey created Irene when he was writing the book. The other thing I got to be honest with you is I, I don't have all the issues of the cable book that they did. Um, I, I, it's, my, my, my cable collection downstairs is very spotty, I got little chunks here and there all the way through. Um, and she was in one of those chunks i had which was i think uh, joe casey and ladron doing the book together so i used her because i had her i knew about her but if i didn't have those issues i wouldn't have known about her i may not have used her um and and i also like the idea of someone being in love with him and not really being able to deal with it and and talk to him about it uh, you know and all of that stuff so so i thought that was all fun to do
0: absolutely absolutely um, one more uh, Deadpool Cable question and I know we talked about this before but so I do apologize uh, so you used Silver Surfer famously uh, to go up against Cable was it always going to be Silver Surfer or was it going to be someone else
1: no it was always going to be Silver Surfer um, it was always going to be Silver Surfer and it was always going to be a uh, uh, due, due how do you pronounce it due ex machina, uh, something something pulled out of left field coming, coming out of nowhere and and, and Combating him like that, um, and and I'm it just I think Patrick also really wanted to draw Silver Surfer too. A lot of artists always seem to. I, I put Silver Surfer in New Warriors way back when because Mark Mark Bagley really wanted to draw him, and I think it was for like two pages or three pages. <laughs> I had Silver Surfer could swoop in and take Tarax away, and that was it. He was gone. <laughs> um, and I also do distinctly remember not wanting Silver Surfer to talk to him. Um, so I think that Silver Surfer only had one line of dialogue during that whole sequence. I I could my memory could be could be failing me, but um, I, I just I, I always liked the character as as a little bit of a detached god in a way. And he, he if he's on Earth or if he's trapped on Earth, he'll he'll meddle and he'll do something that needs to be done. But he's not going to engage that much with human beings because you know we're kind of stupid. Uh, so, so you know, I like him as a as a as a hit and run kind of guy.
0: And uh, I, that actually brings up a natural question of um, how, just how far ahead were you plotting uh, Deadpool cable? Sorry, Cable Deadpool while you were working on it.
1: Uh, Well, I don't know what you mean by plotting because when we say plot, we we actually mean the plot we hand in for that issue.
0: My apologies. I guess sketching out ideas,
1: planning an issue, or or having how many issues are your overviews and things like that. Um, My my, one of my one of my biggest positives and negatives as a writer in my career working on superhero comics is that I have always overplanned my books. So. I, I had New Warriors thought through roughly for for 100 issues, and I knew what my 25-issue marks were going to be. I quit with 53, but I could have told you what 75 and 100 were going to be. Um, uh, cable Deadpool, though, came at a wonderful time in the industry where we didn't know if a book was going to survive more than six issues at a time. And Cable Deadpool Because its sales were never fantastic, but they were never rock bottom either. We were always operating under six-issue renewals. So I never planned the book too far ahead because I didn't know whether we'd be alive that far ahead. So for a change of pace, I really rarely ever planned the book more than six issues out at a time. And and that was almost always the trade paperback breaks, you know, for each issues one through six, issues seven through twelve, issue thirteen through eighteen. That almost ended up being the trade paperback breaks, um, roughly. So that's why I keep that's that's when I when I kept doing it.
0: Now this question I think you kind of answered before on your on, actually on your Facebook page of all places. But um, with uh, with the new series being called Deadpool Cable and the fact that the old I mean you kind of referenced this before, but the old series was Cable Deadpool, but then the trade, the larger trade paperbacks, and the omnibus flipped the title. Will that in any way be referenced
1: in the digital comic? Absolutely.
0: <laughs> yes, uh, it's a, it's an incredibly
1: blatantly childish, unsubtle joke.
0: Well, I look forward to that joke, regardless.
1: Yes, no, you should. <laughs> anybody who reads the book should.
0: <laughs> uh, it's interesting. I you. How do you? It's interesting to see an era where now it is actually you know Deadpool is the bigger marquee name because it was a time when Cable was the name.
1: Yes, absolutely. And is, I And mean, that's not fair. I mean, you can't just lump them together because they start in a book together. I mean, you could say the same thing about a lot of characters. You know, Deadpool's more popular than Darkhawk too. Okay. <laughs> <You> know, <they're, laughs> Deadpool's more popular now than a lot of titles. You know, I, I I think he his title outsells a lot of mainstream titles. I never would have thought that there'd be a Deadpool comic outselling a Fantastic Four comic to the point where there is no Fantastic Four comic. So why should any character exist anymore in a world where Deadpool is, is outselling them? Um, it is what it is. Listen, it's an, it's a cyclical flow. These things, you know, he 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 built. He built. I I I feel that we helped revive and stabilize, and and set in motion the path through which you can see how the character works within the Marvel Universe. Because our book was so firmly set in the Marvel Universe and drew from all corners of the Marvel Universe, that it served as a fifty-issue template to show you how this character. Can, can work in, in the universe and interact with other characters. How he can break the fourth wall and still be in, a, in an ongoing fictional narrative, all of that stuff, right? And then they, they, they did the monthly book after I left, which is, I, I never read any of those issues, so I have no idea what the way book was like at all. Um, I've heard good things about it, I've heard bad things about it. it. I haven't read it for myself, so I don't have an opinion. But it came at a time where they pumped... Uh, more publicity into the character, they increased his awareness, social media was starting to really rise, and he is a character that is very well made for for social media dissemination through pictures or photographs of cosplayers or through calling out just a panel from a book that has a funny line in it. He's very well made for, for social media use, and, and that really helped raise the awareness of the character. Uh, You know, look, the comic sells, let's say the comic sells 50 or 60,000 copies, okay? You got cosplayer videos on YouTube that have 8 million hits. Mm. (laughs) Alright? So, you can't tell me that those people are all people who know the comic book or who read the comic book. They're not. So the character is, is taking on a bit of a life on his own outside of comics. Most of these people... Half the cosplayers who dresses him barely even know the character very well. You know? They don't understand the character. They don't even know a lot of his history. They just know it's fun. You know? So, so, so he's taken on an interesting and unique life of his own.
0: I guess, yeah, no, you're absolutely correct. Now, when it comes to Deadpool having, you know, kind of crazy, wacky team-ups, who do you think would be the, the strangest character to team him up that you would like to write?
1: Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, I hadn't thought of that. I really hadn't thought of that. Um, Possibly Lockjaw would be interesting. (laughs) Mostly because I don't even think that Deadpool has a doggy bag in any of his pouches, because none of his pouches are big enough to carry a doggy bag for Lockjaw's poop. Um, (laughs) And I also think Lockjaw teleporting him to different places would be a lot of fun. And Deadpool trying to get Lockjaw to poop or pee in every place they go to. See, it writes itself. It really does. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think so. You know, I, I don't, I don't think that way. I haven't. You know, I, I don't think that way about Deadpool. That's part of my problem is I don't think about it in terms of sticky stories. I, I don't think of the character in terms of, you know. This time Deadpool's a pirate, and this time Deadpool's an ice cream salesman, and this time I don't I don't because I don't think of the character as a comedy character, mm. which a lot of the writers have thought of him that way over the last few years. So I'm not looking to do shtick with him. I'm not looking to do classics illustrated Deadpool versions. I think of the character as a living, breathing character in the Marvel universe, so you just tell stories with him. The the humor comes out of how he reacts and interacts to the situations he's in I don't believe that you should be putting him into situations that force humor and reactions out of him it should just be a part and parcel to to who who he is and what he's doing but I, I think the story should be a story he's involved in rather than placing him into a situation that creates a story
0: one thing I did like about, uh, especially near the the latter half of your uh, your Cable Deadpool run, was kind of what you're saying that you know you weren't just emphasizing the comedy. There was actually a lot of emotion there for the character, especially when that series ended because his friend had died. <laughs> you know, like and you actually kind of mined that successfully. Whereas I think at times you're right. There's a little bit more of an emphasis on shtick on on comedy and a little bit less on. The actual kind of dramatic elements that do exist for the character, because he is a person. Uh, at, at, well, depending on who's writing them, I guess.
1: Yeah, um, I think that I think that it's a it's a big mistake on the part of a writer who is writing a character if they don't understand that he's not just Bugs Bunny, because Bugs Bunny never never looked in the mirror and asked himself, should I be doing the things I do? Should I be a shit? How can I be a better bunny? He never asked himself those things. He he did whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted, and whoever got in his way got in trouble. Alright? That was Bugs Bunny. And I've heard people say, Yes, he's like he's like Marvel's version of Bugs Bunny. That's not that's just not accurate. <laughs> he's Marvel's version of Bugs Bunny combined with Frankenstein, because he has he has tragedy behind him and and inside of him he has sadness and loneliness and insecurities and 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 uncertainties about himself and confusions about his place in the world. If you're not tapping into those aspects of him, then you're not doing justice to the character. You're just not doing the character properly. That doesn't mean you can't tell a funny story with him, but. You're only telling a funny story with him. That's all you're doing. and and in my opinion, that's not good enough. So uh, I think that I think that it's it's integral uh, it's an integral aspect of the character to to draw humor out of those other tragic elements of the character, not not in spite of or despite those elements.
0: Hmm. Very interesting. It's an interesting comment, especially given how Deadpool has been utilized. So that's very interesting. Um, now, before we kind of sign off for the evening, one thing I do want to ask you about, we didn't really talk about it all last time, and I'm surprised that I didn't ask, was uh, how are you feeling about the upcoming film?
1: Um, I, I'm, I'm, uh, optim- I'm optimistic about it the more and more I've heard and seen. Um, I have no idea if it's going to be a good movie or not. I have not seen a script. I have not been privy to anything in regards to its production. Uh, All I have seen is what you have seen, and and all I have seen is how they have handled their, their promotion and planning of the movie and their use of the character, and I think they've done an absolutely excellent job of all of those aspects of it it's obviously clear to me that I made the right call in cable Deadpool number two when I cast Ryan Reynolds as the character because <laughs> because he he really seems to understand and get the totality of the character not just the humor of the character um, and and everything he's done so far in my opinion has been spot on right and um, Does that translate into a well-constructed two-hour movie that's well-directed and well-acted and well-choreographed and all of that and well-edited? I don't know yet. I won't know until my ass is sitting in a theater seat and I'm watching it. And I'm probably not going to get invited to any movie premieres because it's it's Fox, so I'll probably be seeing it at the same time as you're seeing it.
0: Um, Now, I'm sure you've talked about this in other venues before, but... How did you feel about the decision to go rated R? Um,
1: I think that it works either way. I, I think that people who say that Deadpool can't work as as PG thirteen are wrong. Simple as that. I think, but I but I also don't think that that says you can't do an R rated version of the character because, of course, you can. And it's a it's it's a different movie, pretty much only in so much as your ability to use language and excessive violence and, and and you can go either way with it you could you could downplay the language just enough and downplay the violence just enough that you get a PG-13 movie or you can escalate and up the ante on, on the language and, and the, the violence and you get an R-rated movie you know that's fine You could also do all of that and get an X-rated movie too, by the way, but no (laughs) one's saying that Deadpool should be an X-rated character, are they? So it's all a matter of degree and and what the the people who are making the movie want it to be, combined with what the studio, how the studio thinks they can market and sell it. And the truth of the matter is that it's a low-budget movie by the standards of Hollywood movies, much less by the standards of superhero movies. Mm. So. its ability to make back its money and be considered a successful property are actually greatly enhanced by its reduced budget and the fact that it's R-rated because it it has an opportunity to tap into a very different vibe as far as a movie goes. Coming out in February, being R-rated, being hyper-violent, being hyper-obnoxious gives you an opportunity to really tap into an 18- to 30-year-old demo that may, may not be as... As willing to go to an Ant-Man, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't need to generate the same numbers Ant-Man did. It could generate a third of what Ant-Man did and still be incredibly successful, which is good. So I have, I think, I think it was a no, there wouldn't have been a wrong choice either way. The fact that they're going hard, I think, is, is makes it a much more interesting opportunity for for Fox and for the movie itself, uh, and, and how it's going to present itself and how it's going to sell itself.
0: Okay, well, and I, I agree with you. I I'm, I'm, I'm very intrigued. I in terms of how I felt about the fact that the the rating ended up being R. I think it could have worked as PG thirteen. I don't think it needed to be R because uh, the comic has never been R. Well, the
1: comic is R now because the comic the comic is R now just from the violence standpoint because we. Eight years ago, we never had the level of gore and and excessive violence that they're showing in the comics now. Um, we just didn't. We, it's not something that we did, and it's not something we grew up doing, and it's not something we thought we were allowed to do. But look, the, the, there's a there's an incredible amount of gore in the Deadpool comic, and and much of it is gratuitous gore, and there's a large large segment of the audience that wants that, and a lot and, and, and just as large a segment that thinks that's what it should be Hmm. because they don't know any any differently because they never read the book 10 years ago Um, so so you're catering to that marketplace and and I'm not a huge fan of that marketplace because I think it's absurdly immature but for the same token you're talking about Deadpool so how much maturity do you really want you know so (laughs) I I get both sides of the coin
0: absolutely well Fabian thank you so much for joining us again
1: Thank you very much guys. We look at us. We did it under 2 hours today.
0: I know. Look at us. We're uh, we're growing.
1: You successfully shut me up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully we'll have you back in the future to talk about more of your upcoming projects.
1: Anytime, guys. It's always a lot of fun talking to you.
0: Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye.